I'd like to start off this evening by asking you two questions. How many times have you been forgiven? And the second question is, how many times have you had to forgive somebody? Now, as I prepared this message this week, I pondered a question. How many times has my wife, Sabina, had to forgive me over the four years of our marriage and seven years of a relationship? Well, the answer is far too many. Because I'm not perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect. We're all imperfect. We often fail to treat people with love, with dignity, and with respect. And therefore, apologies are essential elements to having healthy relationships with the people around us. Forgiveness isn't really discussed that much in our culture today. Because people don't like to admit that they've done things wrong. We don't like to hear that we've messed up and that we need to be forgiven for something. We don't like saying we're sorry. And that's why asking for forgiveness can be hard, because we feel exposed, we feel vulnerable, and we don't like admitting that we've done something wrong. But forgiving people is also difficult. It means to choose to lift the penalty off of somebody. It means to choose to pardon the person who offended or hurt you. Forgiving someone means letting go of an offense and welcoming that person back into your life. Forgiveness is a decision. It is not a feeling. It is a decision to continue to grow in relationship with that person by removing the barrier of offense and forgiving them. Forgiveness often results in, or always results, in reconciliation. The psalm that we're going to look at this evening is all about repentance and forgiveness. It teaches us the amazing truth that God is a forgiving God. It's about how people should turn to God in regret and repentance of their sin, accepting responsibility for their actions and asking God to forgive them. In it, David, King David, encourages believers to come to God in repentance. And repentance is another word which isn't used in our world today. People generally don't see themselves as bad or sinful, and therefore we have a poor understanding and knowledge of repentance. But the Bible makes it very clear that all people are sinful, and as a result of our sin and our rebellion against God, we have been cut off from God. But God, in his amazing kindness, offers us forgiveness. And he gives us the opportunity to repent and be reconciled with him. And that is what David is reflecting on in Psalm 32. He's reflecting on a point in his past when he undeservingly received forgiveness from God. King David wasn't perfect. He was a sinner just like you and just like me. He needed to repent and find forgiveness so that he could be made right with God. And if you are here this evening and you are a Christian, this psalm was written specifically with you in mind. It is written with the people of God in mind. So as we read this psalm, listen and remember what God has done for you. Remember the greatness of your forgiveness. If you're here and you aren't a Christian, I hope that this evening and through this psalm that you will see just how attractive the message of the Bible really is. And more importantly, just how attractive God is. But I also hope that you will see, like everybody else in this world, that you are in need of forgiveness. So let's turn to Psalm 32. A mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man 
against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray to God before we look at this psalm together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege it is to have it in our own language. And Lord, we pray that as we look at this psalm together this evening, that your spirit will be moving. We ask that you would speak to us through your words and that we would be changed and challenged by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, over my years here in Scotland and over my years at ETS, where we love to sing the psalms, um, I've come to fall in love with them. I have come to understand the depths of theology that the Psalms teach and how they teach us about the amazing character of God. But also, I like the Psalms because I can identify with them. I read experiences of real people who wrestle with the same questions that I do. You can read rich poetry which is filled of of praise and devotion to God. And you also read instruction. And in this psalm this evening, we see the wisdom of a man who's received forgiveness from God and how he encourages believers to turn to God and repent and find forgiveness. It's like when a parent sits down their child and says, I see the road you're going on. I know where you've been because I've been there as well. This is what happened to me. This is how much it hurt me. I wish that someone would have sat me down and said, go this way instead. The parent cares for their child, and so he gives them instruction so that they don't suffer unnecessary pain and heartache. And that is what David David is doing. He's instructing us from his own experience. He's teaching us also about the greatness of our God. And there are three things that I'd like to draw out of this psalm this evening. If you have your service sheet, You'll see a short outline there for you to help you follow along. We see David's journey to forgiveness. David's exhortation to repent and God's instruction to repent. If you keep your Bibles open, we'll be diving in at a few verses. So the first thing that we see in Psalm 32 is David's journey to forgiveness. In verses 1 to 5, David's journey to forgiveness David starts out this psalm by giving us the principle of what it means to be forgiven. And he says that the person who is forgiven is blessed. Now I wonder what you think about when you hear the word blessed. 
depending on which generation you grew up in or the circle of friends you keep, most of us will probably have a different idea of what it means. Some people think, when they think of the word blessed, they think of a person who owns a house, a person who has a nice, steady job, a person who maybe has a family. Others think about fast cars and a few big houses, the hashtag blessed idea. If you don't know what that is, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll chat to you later on. But the Bible's definition of blessed is completely different from the world's. The Bible defines someone as blessed as someone who is happy, but specifically someone who is happy in relation to God. A person can only be happy and satisfied and be defined as blessed according to the Bible if they have been reconciled to God, if they are in a right relationship with God. Someone who recognizes that they are not righteous and by themselves they can do nothing about that but they know who can, they turn to God. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. A person is blessed when their sin is forgiven or covered. It's interesting that David gives two kinds of pictures here about forgiveness. A person is forgiven, meaning their sin has been removed. And the second is that their sin is covered, meaning that it's hidden away, it's out of sight. Now David obviously knew what forgiveness was. He understood that he could come to God, repent and find forgiveness, but he didn't quite know how that would all work out. He didn't know the end result and how forgiveness would actually come about. But he does understand that in order to be forgiven, you have to repent and confess your sins. And you see that in verse 2, where he said, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. David says that in order to be forgiven, a person needs to be completely honest before God, confessing all their sins and acknowledging that by nature we are sinful people. See, David knows that he doesn't naturally want to follow God's law. He knows all too well that his heart is easily pulled in this direction or that away from God. David understands that his heart is naturally deceitful. And I think if we're honest, we're the same. We constantly reject God. We constantly sin against him. But nevertheless, God in his mercy forgives us. God doesn't need to forgive us, and that is what makes the message so amazing. And we have an even greater knowledge of forgiveness than David did. We live on this side of the cross, what we've been singing about most of the evening. We have seen the big picture, and we know exactly how forgiveness was made possible. Our forgiveness is possible through Jesus Christ. God made flesh, came to earth, lived the perfect sinless life, died a criminal's death and took the punishment of the sins of the world on the cross. He bore the wrath of God. God's innocent king came and died so that we can live. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, if we repent, our sin has been resolved. Our sin has been paid for, the punishment has been taken and if we repented, we if we have repented, we have been declared forgiven by God. And that person is blessed. But all of this is only possible if a person has repented before God and put their faith in Jesus. 
So David has shown us what it means to be forgiven, the principle in verses 1 and 2, and how we can receive forgiveness. But then in verses 3 and 4, he describes his experience of not repenting. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Now I hope you see why I've called this point David's journey to forgiveness. Because even though he understands verses 1 and 2, even though he understands what it means to have his transgressions forgiven, even though he knows that only God can forgive him, and he knows that when he asks for forgiveness, God will count no iniquity against him, he knows all of that. But he still refuses to repent. David is reflecting back on a time where he kept silent before God. And during this time of silence, he experienced two things. Internal grief and external weakness. In verse 3, David explains that because he didn't confess his sins before God, he groaned. He was causing himself internal grief. His conscience was causing him grief. He knows where he must go to find forgiveness. He knows that only God can grant him forgiveness and call him blessed, but instead he remains silent. And he decided that he wasn't going to repent. His actions plagued his mind. You can imagine him sitting up in his bed at night and he's got the scenes playing over and over and over in his mind of the things that he did wrong. He brought this internal grief on himself and it was terrible for him. Look at the word he uses. My bones wasted away. It is painful language. But he decided that he wasn't going to ask for for forgiveness. He was going to live life not acknowledging his sin. He's not admitting that he is a sinner in need of forgiveness, but he is silent towards God and he is grieved internally. And then in verse 4, he explains his external weakness. Now remember that David is writing this psalm at a later point in life as he's reflecting back on a time that he kept silent before God. And he realizes that the physical weakness that he suffered back then was because he didn't repent. See, he felt drained, tired, worn out, and dried up as by the heat of summer. Now I don't know if you've been outside today, uh, (laughs) but it's not really summer. Um, It's hard to believe it's the end of July. Um, So this isn't really a problem we have here in Scotland, is it? But I'm sure you know what he's getting at. Those times maybe where you've been abroad and the minute you step off the plane, your mouth just goes dry. Where the air just seems different, the heat is almost unbearable and you feel weak. I, I lived in Romania for seven years and as I was there, I was working on the fields one summer, sometimes in plus 47 degrees, and we just felt weak. There was no shade around at all. You had the sun beating down on you. You were doing physical labor. There wasn't a cloud on the horizon, but you still had to finish your work. And then suddenly a job that should actually only take an hour takes three because you've got no more energy. And all you want to do is curl up in a ball under a nice big tree in some shade with a big glass of icy water. And that is what David is feeling as a result of him not repenting. He was weak. He was trying to live life as if he could handle his own sin. As if he he didn't need forgiveness. And what makes it even more devastating 
is that David knew that God would forgive him. He knew that he could turn to God and find strength and rest, but instead he refuses and he doesn't repent. A person who does not pour out all their sins in confession before God only tortures themselves until they unburden themselves of their secret curse and sins. At the end of verse 4, you'll see a small word which is separate from the rest of the text, the word selah. Now, let me come clean. We have no idea what this word means. It could be a musical term. It could mean a changing in key. Or it could be there to serve, to help the people who are singing the song or reading it to pause. So a time of reflection. And that is what I would like us to do this evening. Whenever we come to a selah in the text, we're going to stop for a second and we're going to reflect on what the psalm means for us thus far. So how often do we as Christians know the truth of one and, verses 1 and 2? We know that we've been declared blessed because God counts no iniquity against us. We know that God has forgiven our transgressions and that he has covered our sins. God has declared us forgiven through Jesus. We know that, but how often do we, like David, not repent? And why do we not repent? Is it because we're too proud to admit that we've sinned again? If forgiveness is so great, why do we find it so difficult? If forgiveness is essential to Christianity, if it is at the very heart of the gospel message, which it is, why do we not repent and ask for forgiveness? We struggle with it. I think we're ashamed. And sometimes I think that we don't trust that God's forgiveness is unrelenting. We think that we've gone too far too many times. We might have been struggling with the same sin for years. Nobody knows about it. It's our secret. We don't repent about it anymore because we've already done it a million times. And we think that God couldn't forgive us for that, not again. And then thoughts like that flood our minds and they crush us. We start to believe that God thinks the same way that we do. And that our sin is too great for the forgiveness that God offers. Now, if you are thinking that this evening, if you are thinking that God has forsaken you and that your sin has put a barrier between you and God, let this psalm encourage you and say that that is not the case. God will never hold back forgiveness from those who call on him. God's forgiveness is unrelenting. It is never-ending And it will cover all the sins of the one who calls on his name. Or maybe you're thinking that this message doesn't apply to you. You don't need to ask for forgiveness because you don't sin. Maybe you think that you can live the Christian life without repenting. Well, this psalm is a rebuke. Do not let your pride stop you from coming to God in repentance. Everyone is in need of forgiveness. The Bible makes that very clear. Let no deceit be in your heart, but confess all things before God and do exactly what David did in verse 5 
and repent. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. David realizes that he was trying to cover up his sin. He was trying to brush it all under the carpet, but he came to his senses and repented, confessed his sins before God. And what did God do? Well, exactly what God has promised since the beginning. God forgave his sins. David acknowledged his sin. He stopped trying to hide his iniquities from God, but he confessed everything. He told God everything that God already knew. And he repented of his wrongdoings and God forgave him. Now this forgiveness didn't change David's life situation. He didn't suddenly have an easy life with no issues. But David knew the truth that he had been declared forgiven. Selah. Do not cause yourself grief and weakness because of not repenting. But turn to God and confess your sins and God will forgive you. Why cause yourself pain when God is willing to forgive? We have a greater understanding of forgiveness. If you repent and you trust in Jesus, you can be 100% sure that you are forgiven. You have been declared righteous. You are a child of God. And if you have never considered this before, if you've never thought that you need to be forgiven by God, let me encourage you to think about it now. Why choose to be separated from the God who created you, from the God who knows you better than you even know yourself? Why choose to carry the weight and punishment of your own sins when God's made it possible for you to be completely forgiven by him? If you do know this forgiveness, if you have repented of your sins, and if you have put your faith in God and in the truth of the gospel, then remember one thing. You are blessed. This is not a fact that we should skim over lightly. This is the most amazing news ever. God has forgiven you. Regardless of your circumstances, you can always find true, lasting joy in the amazing fact that God forgives and that he has declared you free from the punishment of sin. Being forgiven is the greatest blessing that exists. If you had absolutely nothing else in this world but God calls you blessed, then you have all the reason in the world to rejoice because you have been reconciled with God. Never, ever forget that truth and just how immense it is. Remember to bring your transgressions before God in prayer confessing all your sins and believing in the truth that you are forgiven. Do not cause yourself grief because you don't repent, but turn to God because he forgives time and time again. David now moves on in this psalm and he gives an exhortation to repent in verses 6 and 7. David's exhortation to repent Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they should not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Now David is the king of Israel. 
And as the king of God's chosen people, he can encourage them to repent. And as the king, he can tell his people of his experience, and he can guide his people to learn from his mistakes. David gives his readers an exhortation to pray to God specifically before the rush of great waters, and then you shall not reach him. David is saying, pray to God now, before times of trouble come and distract you from God. And ultimately, David has another great waters in mind when he's speaking of the day of judgment. He's saying, repent to God now when there is still time. Now, this is wise counsel from a man who knew exactly what he was talking about. He is encouraging his people to keep short accounts with God, confessing and naming their sins regularly so that the troubles of life will not pull them away. David is encouraging his people to be grounded in God, to be in constant communion with God, and the result of that is the amazing relationship that he describes in verse 7. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Now, this is a stark contrast from verses 3 and 4, isn't it? David was previously hiding from God, but now he finds himself hiding in God. David was afflicted because he did not confess his sins, but now God is a hiding place for him. God is David's refuge. And God preserves him from trouble and shields him. God surrounds him with shouts of deliverance. God is not just standing off in the background, handing out to forgiveness to those who repent, but he is a hiding place. He is actively caring for his people, and he is preserving them from trouble. People find their refuge in God. They find their strength and hope in God, and God declares who his people are. God surrounds his people with shouts of deliverance. Now, the imagery David is using here is shouts of joy, shouts of great happiness as God delights in his people, as God delights that his people are turning to him for forgiveness. This is immense joy, which is something that we're not great at here in the UK. We prefer our excitement to be shown through a short hug or a strong handshake with a smile. But God shouts for joy and deliverance. He declares it aloud for all to hear that salvation has come to him who is blessed. Deliverance is granted to the one who has sought forgiveness from God. And David is saying to the people of Israel who would have sung this song, he is saying to them, look at my experience. Learn from it. I let the rush of great waters pull me away from God. I didn't repent, and look how that worked out for me. I caused myself pain. Don't do what I did, but instead turn to God now and be forgiven. Let God be your hiding place. Let him surround you with shouts of deliverance. Like a loving father, David is instructing his children to learn from his experience and to repent. Selah. Even though we are not the nation of Israel, and David is not our king, many of the principles and encouragements that he offers here to Israel can apply to us. We should listen to the wise words of a man who has so much to teach us about living the Christian life in a fallen world. Like Israel, we need to keep short accounts with God. 
We need to repent and confess our sins regularly, or else the great waters will pull us away. The worries and distractions of our life, our enjoyment of sin, our desire to live as we want can all pull us down and we can lose our focus. We will start to rely on ourselves and slowly we can remove God from the picture altogether. But David says, do not let that happen. Confess your sins regularly. Name them. Confront them where possible and if appropriate, ask for help. Have somebody who asks you the most uncomfortable questions in the world about your life. Have someone who challenges you in the way that you are living out the Christian faith day to day. Repent and find forgiveness from God. Let him be your hiding place. Let him forgive you. Let him preserve you from trouble and he will surround you with shouts of joy and deliverance. So we've seen David's journey to forgiveness. We've seen his exhortation to repent and Psalm 32 now takes a turn and we see God speaking. We see God's instruction to repent in verses 8 to 11. God's instruction to repent. So God is now the one who's speaking and his instruction is a lot stronger than David's. But God starts this section with an amazing encouragement in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. One of the many, many blessings of being reconciled with God is that God will instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go. God doesn't leave us to our own devices. He saves us and instructs us. He has a plan for our lives and we have the privilege of being able to communicate with God. And he will guide us through his word. And he will give us strength to walk in his ways through the power of his spirit. And he looks out for us. He will counsel us with his eye upon us. He watches and looks out for his people. He guides us and protects us. He has a path for us and he gives us strength to walk it. Isn't that great and encouraging news? That it's not all down to us? But it does require something from us. It requires that we not be stubborn, but that we submit to God. So let's read verses 9 and 10 together. And in these verses, we see a loving rebuke from a loving father. We need to remember that. This is what God says. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. God is instructing his people through this psalm that they should listen to him, that they should submit to him and not be stubborn. When a parent sees their child running into a busy street of traffic, the parent doesn't politely stand at the side and say, oh, would you mind stopping where you are, please? The parent screams at the top of their lungs, runs and grabs the child's arm and pulls them away from danger. And then they sit the child down and make sure that the child is aware of what just happened. They make sure the child knows that that is dangerous. That if they run into a street of cars, they could be seriously injured or in worst case, they could die. 
And the child is crying and the child is sorry, but in the end, the whole thing was for the child's benefit. It has learned something through this ordeal. We would consider it unloving if a parent didn't stop their child running into traffic, wouldn't we? We would consider it unloving and cruel if a child was left to do as it pleased without any instruction, especially when it came to dangerous things. And that is what God is doing here in verses 9 and 10. God is instructing us in his great wisdom that we should not resist him and his forgiveness, but that we should submit to him and to his will because the end result is there in verse 10. If people live life rejecting God, rejecting the forgiveness that he offers, rejecting the good news of Jesus, then in the end, God will reject them. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But God will surround those who put their trust in him with steadfast love. This does not mean that God will make life easy. It won't be a walk in the park. I'm sure we've all, we all know and have experienced that life isn't always easy. But God's love is a constant. Our circumstances do not dictate how much God loves us, but his love is never ending. Psalm 32 ends with verse 11, which is a conclusion of this whole process. It mirrors verses 1 and 2. Once somebody has come to understand that God can and will forgive their sins if they ask, once they repent and submit to God and put their trust in him, they can be glad in the Lord and they can rejoice. Again, this doesn't mean that life as a Christian will always be happy doesn't mean that it will be easy. It means that our greatest need has been met. God has reconciled you to himself and you have been declared forgiven. Isn't that something that encourages you? Isn't that something that makes you want to shout for joy? Rejoice because God has brought you to himself. Jesus paid the punishment that you deserve so you can be called blessed righteous and upright in heart. If this isn't you and you have not repented and come to God, then this psalm should show you the importance of repentance. It shows you your need for forgiveness. God has made it possible for you to be forgiven by him, but it is your choice to submit to God and to choose to accept the offer of forgiveness or to reject it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a forgiving God. We thank you that we can come before you and confess our sins, and even though we sin thousands and thousands of times a day, you still forgive us time and time again. Lord, forgive us for the times that we misrepresent you in our minds, for the times that we think that you will not forgive us again. Lord, we ask that you would help us always repent, always confess our sins, and you would help us not have any deceit in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' strong and precious name. Amen.